Welcome to T Hanks for the memories, or should we say, for this episode, C Hanks for the memories,、uh, because we are covering the great Buck Howard. We start off, of course, with voiceover from Colin Hanks telling us that when he was younger,、uh, he wanted to be a number of different professions, but his father insisted that he became a lawyer,、um, and then he's at law school. Um, it's sitting in an auditorium where everybody's got laptops, but none of them are plugged in, so those things are gonna. You know those batteries are going to run out pretty quick in two thousand eight. Must be a short exam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,、um, and so he decides at finishing the exam early that he has had enough of being a lawyer and he wants to be a writer.、Uh, but of course,、uh, he needs the essentials like food and a place to live <laughs> and various other things like that. So he needs to take a job. And while he says that, there's like a pot noodle on his desk. Yes, which is like the typical college. I have no money. Food. <laughs> What's what's funny is like as he say like there's kind of like a you know a style thing of the of the kind of opening credits is these little boxes next to everybody's names.、Um, well, they're all check boxes, right? Yeah, and and、yeah. when he's in, when he's saying all the different things that he needs while he's sitting in his flat, different check boxes appear over stuff, including one over the noodles.、Um, and you know this introduces us to the idea that he's going to work for、uh, the Great Book Howard. Um, and what I appreciate about this film is it pretty much gets into meeting Buck Howard very quickly. We don't waste any time. We're like literally like five minutes in, and he's met Buck Howard.、Um, and you know, Ricky Jay,、uh, obviously、uh, a wonderful person,、um, sadly missed.、Uh, you know, a great like every every film Ricky Jay was ever in. Ricky Jay was almost always the best thing in it. Um, and here, I'm guessing he shot all his stuff on the same day because he pretty much only appears in one location.、Uh, he's in the restaurant, the and then、film. I think he's on vacation at some point, which I have no doubt is、yeah. outside of whatever hotel they filmed the bar or restaurant <laughs> scene <Yeah> . in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But what I, what I like here is like we get John Malkovich again, a wonderful actor,、um, and he's playing Buck Howard,、uh, as we said, kind of based on Kreskin. And、uh, he kind of enters this kind of、uh, like I don't know. It, it feels like it's meant to be like a sixties kind of like dinner bar, and you know he enters, and this becomes his trademark throughout the film by shaking everyone's hands extremely violently. And I I just thought it was a fun. It feels like something where John Malkovich was like, I want to do this. Like every time I shake someone's hand, for it to just be this huge handshake. Uh, and I, Whereas everyone else in the movie is like, please don't! Oh God, please don't! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like he ends up kind of like physically hurting people with this handshake,、um, mm-hmm. and I, I kind of, I kind of like、so、that.、Good. Like this is his trademark, as well as him loving every single town. Um, you know, which obviously. But、we'll、I love also、to. that, like after Colin Hanks shakes his hand for the first time, every time、uh, Colin is present when he, when Buck Howard shakes someone's hands, he has this slight look of dread on his face because he knows what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,、uh, and obviously, you know, Gil kind of explains what the you know what the the you know the, the what the, the the job will be, which is looking after everything for Buck. Uh, while he's on the road, and you know he's going on tour next week, and you know that's it. He's going to be thrown in the deep end. 
But what I like as well is when he meets Buck Howard, he does, like Buck does this thing of listing all the shows he's been on, but all of them are like like practice like shows that have been off the air for years in some cases and it's it's like a nice little touch that like he still thinks it's worth saying like the tonight show with johnny carson where it's like johnny carson hasn't been on that show for like 15 years and at this point he's probably been dead for a few and so and the new like, guy is satan <laughs> yeah and he doesn't like jay leno who like you know ended up being on the you know the tonight show for like 30 years or something so it's like i i, I just like the fact that he kind of lists a bunch of shows that have been long off the air and kind of you know, Colin Hanks kind of just has to nod along because he's like, okay, like he doesn't recognize most of these shows because they probably finished before he was born. Um, and I just thought that's a nice kind of indication that he's hanging on to these kind of past glories by listing all these shows. It's interesting that, you know, as, as we kind of see later throughout the film, Buck kind of gets more irritated with people when they don't recognize this sort of stuff. But it's interesting at this particular point, uh, it, it doesn't seem to bug him so much. It, I mean, it, I guess it's just a scripting thing. It's giving uh, the the screenplay a chance to basically have Buck kind of fill in some of the history for for Troy before uh, before he kind of uh, takes him under his wing yeah. and stuff. So it's um, but it is one of those things where it's it's you know he's he doesn't get too bothered by the fact that Troy uh, doesn't necessarily know all of this stuff. Um, and you know, I mean, it's one of those things. It's I, I, as we see in the film, Buck kind of um, flip flops enough about his opinions on how much to tip people and everything. So it's entirely possible that he's just in a in a friendly state of mind at this particular meeting. Yeah, I I think as well. Maybe because like within that bar, people recognize him and kind of boost his ego a little bit. Maybe he's in a better frame of mind when he kind of meets Troy. Um, and then sure. later on when yeah. they're on the yeah. road and, you know, maybe he kind of gets more irritated because, you know, there are probably less people that recognize him. Um, you know, uh, we meet Adam Scott uh, playing Alan Berkman, uh, the current road manager who is going to show him the ropes as they go to the um, the Bakersfield uh, venue for the for this show. Um, and there we meet Sheila, who is kind of like the kind of backstage manager. And Alan is extremely slimy with Sheila. Like, he kind of deliberately blocks the door so that, like, she has to squeeze past him. She has to rub against him as yeah. she exits the room, which is gross. I, I, I mean, I guess they just want us to hate Adam Scott pretty quickly. So, but, you know, mission accomplished. But I just thought, yeah. that, I was like, okay, this guy, you know, I we're, we're obviously going to follow Troy for the film. So I guess we need a way to kind of see how jaded and bored Alan is with the whole procedure, you know, like... The show is to him like he he's like you know here's the cassette to introduce him and then he's like 15 minutes later he's like I'll be back because that's when he'll be at the piano and you know like he knows all the cues so well that he's like doesn't really even kind of stage manage it he's just like you know okay house lights up and then just kind of walks off and leaves book to kind of do whatever he wants to do on stage because he's kind of you know over the whole thing. Well, um, they have to get rid of him pretty quickly. So that he's there to introduce yeah. Troy to this job, but then they have to get rid of him. So Troy is tossed into the deep end because he's just like, figure it out. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think also it's a contrast to how um, Colin's character, uh, how Troy comes to have a, as he says, not an, not an affection for Buck, but like a loyalty to Buck that, uh, that Alan clearly didn't have. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, we do. We we kind of we see the what the act consists of, which is you know a bit of stand up, a bit of hypnotism, 
him sitting at the piano very slowly oh, the singing. Piano. <laughs> <laughs> Not the world means <laughs> now. It's it's very Rex Harrison the way he he just talks yeah. sings it. You know what the world. Yeah, now. and the way he holds his head at the <laughs> microphone. Oh my god! Yeah, he do- he doesn't adjust the microphone so it's close to him. He keeps leaning over. Uh, yeah, with his head cocked. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, no, it's just wonderful, <laughs> wonderful stuff from John Malkovich. Like he re- uh, the funny thing is, like you know, he really kind of gives us this character, like in these first few scenes of, you know, somebody who kind of can be quite charming, and you know, they've got a journalist along with them, and he keeps doing like these tricks for the journalist. He does like the you know the coin drop trick where they drop on three. Um, which I think is done by leaving a longer gap between three and four, so that they, so that people feel, yeah, feel the pressure to drop the coin. Yeah, we um, see fail later. <laughs> yeah, which except for confused news <laughs> reporters. Yeah. Um, and you know, we we find out that the kind of the end of his act is where he, you know, his fee gets hidden within the audience. A couple of people come backstage, you know, so they can see that him and his, you know, entourage. Um, you know, uh, don't know where it is. And then he comes out and he finds his feet, which, you know, he does pretty much every single time. Uh, as I said, Kreskin did this thousands of time and only missed apparently about 12, um, which, you know, is kind of a, an amazing thing to do. Uh, later on, we'll kind of get into discussion of how it's done. Um, but this leads to Alan getting fired because he didn't have any colour photographs backstage. And I like that the kid is willing to accept a black... Because, you know, this this father and his kid are backstage to watch them. <laughs> and the kid's willing to accept a black and white photo. And I, I like how this, this scene kind of finishes with him being like, what's the point? Why would you Why would you want yeah. a black and white photo? Why would you accept that? <laughs> yeah. What is the point? Leave, go. <laughs> <So good. laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because later we hear, you know, oh, you, he can have a black and white one. Like it, he he leaves the black and white ones for people that he just wants to dismiss, yeah. and and so it's kind of funny how that uh, how that ends up playing. For him, out. it's an insult. You just get a black and white headshot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, we, like so, obviously, Alan, you know, due to his incompetence with the photographs, is fired. But I, I, we feel like Alan was on the outs anyway. Like he wasn't going to be around long. Yeah. Um, you know, the position was probably being advertised so that Alan would be replaced eventually anyway. Um, so Troy is now, you know, the, the tour manager. He's going to be the one who's touring. We get this nice little montage where we see the different venues, um, all of which are half full. And in the narration, it's kind of pointed out that, you know, uh, Buck doesn't really care. Like, um, or even you know, notice, really. Yeah, like Troy makes the mistake yeah. of kind of telling him the crowd's not completely sold out, which is what Alan advised him to do. And it's, you know, it's kind of like once he's on stage, the size of the crowd doesn't matter. Um, You know, he's a performer and he just wants to perform, you know, his act. And, you know, if people are kind of stunned and laughing along and all the rest of it, then he's more than happy to kind of do that. Um, And we find out that he's got a benefit that he started with um, George Takai, which leads to some of the greatest stuff that John Malkovich does in this film, where he says he plays Sulu from the Star Trek. Um, The Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) Also, George... Made with force be in you. Yeah, which... <laughs> yeah, more than right. <laughs> oh, it's such a great... I just, I mean, you know, like I said, John Malkovich is, is wonderful in this film. If people, he's so good. He's really the reason to watch it, because he's just like such Colin, a Like, Colin is entertaining enough, but he's a, he's the straight man in all this, and he's just the observer, and, you know, he's the audience substitute. Um, you know, John Malkovich is just, you know, he, he's, like, doing everything, you know, to really give this character... Um, you know something on screen and you know if people haven't heard of this film and don't know if they should watch it I would say just watch it for John Malkovich's performance because it is uh, you know wonderful all the stuff on the side is a little less interesting um, but just everything like everything he's doing is just so great Um, you know and we have like this like he always says I love this town no matter what town he's in 
He's always come out and he, like he says. I but he always guy. knows where he is, though. Oh yeah, yeah, Cause, no, yeah. Because you like you hear about like thing. you know, yeah. It's not like you know, I love oh, I love Cincinnati. It's like you're in Pittsburgh, you know. Like <laughs> yeah, he always knows where he is because <laughs> yeah. he appreciates his his fans. And I think I think the thing as well, like you start off thinking it is going to be like a, a Spinal Tap thing where he doesn't know where he is and he just says I love this town because he doesn't know which town it is. Um, but as the film goes on, you find out that whichever town he's in, he do- he knows where he is, and also he does truly appreciate the audiences. Um, and obviously, we're getting the picture that he tours a lot of smaller venues and in smaller like uh, markets. They love him in Akron. <laughs> yeah, and and that, and and I think I think he like we'll co- at the end of the film we'll kind of come back around to this idea. But I think he just he appreciates performing in front of like fifty people kind of more than performing in front of thousands of people like he you know if he's got an audience that are completely there for him um then he you know he, he loves performing in front of those types of audiences well, uh, i mean let's be honest people who are going to his shows are not people who are just like what should we do tonight well i guess we could go to buck henry it's like people who are going to his shows are people who want to see him yeah yeah it's i mean it's, it's his exactly. fans um uh, yeah exactly yeah. And, and they're there uh, to be they're there to love him and be impressed by him not just like okay i'm crossing my arms <laughs> and sitting back and looking sternly at you like, go ahead and press me yeah and we'll <laughs> find out as the film goes on as well there are people like even all the way to you know griffin dunn there are people who saw him when they were younger who were influenced by him and who admired him and you know a lot of them thanks like, to Thanks to Buck Howard, we now have Tom Arnold in the world. Yay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we get a montage of the money finds. You know, he, he, he obviously, you know, hides his feet and he finds it. And we get a quick montage of each of those. Um, and then 20 minutes into the home, we finally get to meet Tom Hanks. I mean, we kind of met him at the start because we saw pictures of Tom and Colin, um, you know, obviously that they used uh, to show uh, a younger version of Troy. Um, and uh, what I like is obviously Buck is there kind of going into his patter about, you know, do you want to sign photo? <laughs> and, and Tom Hanks is like, uh, no, uh, like I'm here to see my son. And uh, what I like as well is, you know, he's like, I, di- I didn't know you had like family in this town. Obviously it's been, a, you know, a smaller venue. And he's like, uh, and Troy is like, I don't. <laughs> so obviously, <laughs> you know, his dad has called his kind of college roommates and figured out what's happened. Uh, I should say as well, Colin in this film is 30 years old and he's playing someone who I think is supposed to be around 21, 22 ish, uh, which he can do because, of course, you know, much like his father, he he has a very youthful looks. Um, but I just thought that was odd that it, like, it, you know, he he got to that point where he he's still kind of playing, you know, he was playing like, you know, college dropouts years earlier. And he's seemed to have kind of got stuck in that a little bit um, here. Well, and it's definitely, you know, uh, if with his dad producing, uh, this is one of those th- things where it's like, you know, my son could like, uh, we can help you find the funding for the for your movie. My son would be great in the role. I know he's a little old for the part, but, you know, he plays that great. Like, it's just one of those things where it really feels like dad uh, finding an opportunity to kind of get his son a, a, a nice little job. And Colin, it looks pretty youthful. I mean, it's not. It's he not does. like a, he's yeah. not like he's a like a you know thirty five year old trying to play a high school student, which we've seen sometimes in the past. He has a youthful appearance. Right. Also, I'm pretty sure Tom yeah. promised that they could get him for cheap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like he'll, he'll work wait. for scale. <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll he'll do it for five thousand dollars. <laughs> so yeah, we get. And we please get... hide the fee somewhere so he has to go and find it. <laughs> yes. Uh, that would be wonderful if they did that to uh, Colin <laughs> on the film. Um, 
Yeah, so now we've, we, you know, we finally kind of get a scene between uh, Tom and Colin. I like how awkward it is between the two of them and how John Malkovich doesn't kind of pick up on it to start off with. Yeah. And then once he realizes, he's like, oh, dear. And then kind of just... <laughs> well, for leaves. someone who, who bases a lot of his mentalism on observing people, he is quite oblivious at times. <laughs> well, I, was, I will say this, Susan. He does that when he's being paid to do that. Um, That's true. You know, so once he's off stage... You know, he doesn't need to be as observant anymore, um, you know, because he's not getting paid money to do that. One, uh, one note I made. Well, and it, there's there's something about like him being non-observant, but also I think there's something about him having this sense that his his words like he casts such a magic spell that whatever he says is just going to win whoever he's talking to over and i feel like there's a little bit of that too like oh i know just the right thing to kind of smooth this situation out between father yeah, don't and son. Worry. i can fix don't worry about it here. i got this <laughs> i think the, uh, yeah. the note i made about this scene uh with between colin and tom is like i don't know what to do with rude top hanks <laughs> yeah. like, it's such a shock of like he's being rude and, and mean and 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 condescending and i don't know what to do with this version of tom hanks <laughs> Although he's doing, I thought he did it in a good parental yes. way. Like, you know, it, he, he doesn't just say, excuse yeah. me, I don't want to talk to you. Like, he doesn't just get pushy about it. I think he's coming, it. To, he's coming to town I, to give some tough love, I think. Yeah, but, yeah, like, I'm, yeah. I still well, don't I, know I what to do with it. I can understand it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I, I, what, I mean, uh, what I like is that, you know, I mean, it is funny, obviously, to see Colin Hanks literally say the words dad to Tom Hanks on screen. Um, you know, that's fun. Uh, and then obviously, you know, them, him kind of complained about how much money he spent on him to, you know, go to, you know, college. And, you know, he's just kind of dropped out. And obviously, you know, him saying, look, I've got a job and, uh, you know, I wasn't happy doing law. And, you know, this is what I want to do. Um, and, I, you know, I think obviously, you know, at that point, if he's, you know, making the money, uh, then, you know, obviously I understand why Tom's not happy that he's wasted all this money on college. But at the same time, it's like, well... You know, he's got a job and he's working. So, you know, if he's not costing you money anymore. Then what really can you do about it? You know, he's not living well, in your house it, anymore. So it's, it's a few things that that uh, Tom, uh, Mr. Gable is uh, is mad about. One, he's been lied to because he's been telling him yeah. that he's still in school, which he is not. Well, yeah. Two, he's wasting his money because he's paying for studies that the, that uh, Troy is not taking. And three, um, there's, there's, a, there's a common thread throughout of him uh mr and mrs gable working really hard to be able to provide the things to troy that they could not themselves have or achieve yeah so he's, Which, he's upset on multiple levels <laughs> i mean i will say this considering that that himself he dropped out of medical school to become a stand-up in the late 80s i don't think he can judge uh you know troy <laughs> for what he's doing here um, i like to think of all tom hanks characters as being the same person um. <laughs> well, it, it, it's interesting. And, and, you know, I just don't know enough about the director and his story with Buck Howard. Like, is, is this part of his own life, too? Like, how biographical is the story? It, less about the amazing Kreskin and more about the director and his time, um, you know, and, and kind of the journey that he took. And that's not something that I could find. But I was wondering about that. Like, was he did he drop out of law school? What, or like, what was his story? 
when he kind of came into all that. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I know. think all we know but, is that he was yeah. the road manager for Kreskin for a period of time. That's about as much information. So, yeah, exactly. um, but I mean, again, right. I mean, the, the whole kind of like dropping out of school and, you know, the parents working hard to pay for it and all that kind of stuff feels a little bit more kind of rote than some of the other stuff in the film that feels a bit yeah, more. Yeah, it's kind a of common like, trope in movies. Yeah, like some of the dropping other Dropping out of school to find yourself. Specific. You know? Yeah, this, like, the, yeah. like just kind of like managing a mentalist on the road playing small venues feels very specific <laughs> and that's that, that feels like that's the idea that sold the film to tom hanks more than the kind of father-son conflict which is obviously why he's barely in this film um well and it, it does make you wonder like was tom hanks like when you have those moments like griffin dunn and tom arnold saying stuff about the the great buck howard did tom hanks remember from his own uh when he was a younger man like seeing the amazing Kreskin and actually god yeah that was just so amazing uh, when you're he's on the Carson show like is there an element that drew him into the story because of his own memories of the yeah we know that if Tom's uh, biographical you know stuff influenced the writing of the movie at all I I mean I don't think so um okay I don't I don't think there's really because like he wasn't whispering in Sean McGinley's ear, like you know, this happened to me when I was a kid. You should put this in. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm yeah, not right. sure. I, I mean, <laughs> the thing is, obviously, you know, uh, like Kreskin was big from like the 70s through to like 1980, and Tom Hanks, you know, obviously didn't kind of get into acting until 1980. So it does feel like in the 70s, it probably was something that he watched him, you know, as everybody did. You know, was kind of impressed by his, you know, uh, mentalism. Um, you know, so maybe that's maybe that's what attracted him to the project. But it's nice to see father and son on screen, and obviously, you know, Tom Hanks is a great actor, um, and Colin Hanks is a wonderful actor as well. And, and you know, straight away, you know, they have a chemistry that obviously, uh, you know, casting for fathers and sons, you know, you, you sometimes you can never get this, um, but just instantly, you know, they have that that family. Even if you didn't know that they were related, they are they are good enough actors that they kind of. You, they instantly have a relationship, and you know you kind of feel the disappointment from Tom. Uh, like I am say, not good with faces, but yeah. I, even I can see that they're related. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, and you know, obviously, this is where um, you know, kind of Gill meets with Troy and Buck again. Um, you know, uh, Ricky Jay kind of in the same location as before, and they kind of talk about like Buck is impatient because he wants to get back onto the Tonight Show. Uh, but obviously he's not a fan of Jay Leno. <laughs> and, um, he talks about how he's been working on a new effect. They don't call them tricks. Um, you know, uh, a trick is something that a whore does for money. Um, or cocaine. <laughs> um, as uh, another great musician once said. And so, you know, he he talks about how you know he's going to do this effect when they get to Cincinnati. Um, and obviously this is kind of going to be the, the crux of the second act. Is like him preparing for this trick while they're still kind of... Um, you know, touring. Um, and this is when we get to meet Doreen and Kenny, played by Deborah Monk and Steve Zahn. Uh, of course, oh, Steve Zahn. Steve Zahn's mustache and such hair. A, what a, what a, yeah, what a stash, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Whew. like, I love Steve Zahn since seeing him in Reality Bites and then obviously also seeing him in Out of Sight, uh, both of which where he kind of plays, uh, you know, the kind of the gentler of the characters. And in this film, I, I mean, I loved Kenny. Like, in this character, like, this character he's playing is someone who... Uh, you know just kind of wants to help out you know they've hired a limo and he's going to be the limo driver even though it feels like he's not fully in control <laughs> of that vehicle once they get into it um and you know uh, i i just kind of like like when he get because towards you know towards their time you know uh in 
are they in Ohio at this point? I think. Yeah. That's, yeah. Um, yeah. Like he gets, you know, Buck is not happy with his driving, and he's like dismiss him. And when he gets dismissed, and he 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 he's given a you know a signed black and white photo, he's like really happy to get that photo, and he really kind of loves Buck Howard, and you know it's he it's just a wonderful character that Steve's on, you know. He, like he of, actually gets weepy over it. Yeah, that, and it kind of made Buck, me sad. Even though he, like, yeah, it's like because he's like even though I screwed up, he has the gentleness of spirit to still <laughs> give me this thing. It's like. The guy is an a hole. Cherish this forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like Buck Howard is an a hole. You do not like. You shouldn't be giving him this love. <laughs> yeah. I... Well, it's an it's an but and it's an interesting kind of way to kind of show how people from these these towns that just don't come into contact with, you know, quote famous people, uh, like just even something like that. It's just such an honor. It's such a privilege. It's it's such an interesting way to kind of look at that. And see how how any how people end up viewing these things in such different lights. Yeah. Um, but also, I think you know the the fact that Kenny is going to cherish the photograph, you know, that he's given. That from Buck's point of view is kind of dismissive. It's like give him a black and white one. But from ours, like from his point of view, he's going to cherish that. And I think that's something that, like, as we go through the film, obviously, you know, Buck Howard is kind of very abrasive and stuff. But there are a lot of people who kind of met him at a certain age, you know, saw him when he was younger and, you know, they kind of cherish the memories of like him in a certain way that obviously I think if they met Buck Howard today, they probably wouldn't. <laughs> but, you know, they the, the thing that they keep in their head is him doing the magic and them, them kind of or the mentalism, should I say, and they enjoy that. And that's the thing that they remember about him and the fact that, you know he's got like very specific rules about how much to tip and, and all that kind of stuff like you know they, they're not going to come into contact with that book Howard they're only going to come into contact with a guy who's on stage um, and I think it's a good way to show that like people do kind of you know cherish meeting him um, even if you know his star has fallen a little bit um, you know um, and in particular he has a particular way that he likes to be introduced on stage which is they put in this cassette of the pre-recorded you know ladies and gentlemen the I'm great only Cameron. introduced on tape <laughs> yeah and, <laughs> and instead Doreen decides that she is going to <laughs> introduce him by a song that she has written herself which is just oh, a, a rewriting of <laughs> do you believe in magic um, and it was I mean it's I don't know I thought I found it extremely cringy but at the same time I was like Acapella. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, she couldn't even get like an accompaniment of some kind. But uh, yeah, no, it's just a it's a wonder <laughs> like it's a kind of like I say, it's a kind of cringy, but the kind of embarrassing scene. But at the same time, Deborah Monk is so kind of wonderful kind of doing this, you know, just being this person who, uh, you know, obviously loves like Buck Howard so much that she, you know, wanted to kind of introduce him in a way that he'd remember. Um of course, and the just crowd eats him. it up. The crowd oh. likes it. Oh no, yeah, the crowd love it as a, like an introduction. But obviously, <laughs> yeah. you know, well, uh, <laughs> that's what's so funny is because like Buck's face. I mean, John Malkovich is just so in his element playing this sort of character because his face as he's doing it, like what is what is she doing? <laughs> and then afterward, oh the way that he's talking to Troy is just like I, I had to save that audience. They were we almost lost that audience, and it, it was only because of my abilities to kind of like pull them back in that we could actually say. I yeah. barely saved so it's this so show. Funny to, yeah, <laughs> so funny how he looks at it. Yeah. I like when he, tra he tells Troy, stop it. And Troy's like, how? She's already made some like, giant hook. Just like hook yeah. her off the stage. <laughs> right, so he expected to tackle her or something. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, 27 minutes in here. We have Emily Blunt. Uh, she, is there she is third build. Uh, as we said previously, uh, 
having relations with Tom Hanks in Charlie Wilson's War, and now she will have relations with a different Hanks. Um, oh and she has been like uh, he wanted Steve, his his kind of publicist from New York, to come in, and she is there in place of Steve, and he's obviously not happy about that, and he's particularly not ha- happy when uh, Emily Blunt's character Valerie mentions Jay Leno, and she's like, Jay Leno's a nice person, and Buck Howard keeps saying, I can assure you, he is not, and she's like, but I've met him. <laughs> And he's like, yes, but he's not a nice person. <laughs> and he was I, very warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and some of that is, I think, is because she stole his thunder at the table. Oh yeah. Right? I mean, he's he's having this conversation. They're interested in him, but then she shows up, and it's like, oh yeah, I know all these other famous people, and it just like totally turns, and nobody's interested in Buck anymore. And I think that's another reason that it's almost like just the mention of Jay Leno and turning the their attention away from him makes him hate Jay Leno even more, <laughs> even though he had nothing to do with anything in this particular moment other than being mentioned. Yeah, it, I mean, obviously he feels slighted because Jay Leno has never invited him on the, the Tonight Show. And that is obviously yeah, where his right. animus like comes from. But I do like how he just instantly is like, you know, Emily Blunt's like, I've met these famous people and, and everyone is like talking to her. And he's just sitting there kind of right. m- just mumbling to himself like I was on The Tonight Show 61 time. Like, just kind of, nobody's listening to him. He's just kind of saying it to himself uh, while he's sitting at the table. Uh, this is she... also one of the er- lo- earliest I... mentions I can remember of uh, Keanu Reeves being the sweetest person in the world. Which it turns <laughs> yeah. out he is. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, how funny is it like that? Even in a movie like this, uh, without even appearing, Keanu Reeves finds a way into it as, again, just the most great, <laughs> you know, gracious person there is. It's yeah. so funny. Uh, I like that, that he is the Hollywood standard for somebody who is nice. Um, and I guess, you know, screenwriters will continue to use him in that way. Um, but yeah, yeah. now obviously we're, you know, Valerie is there for a very specific purpose, which is to get press for the, you know, the, the big trick. Um, and to do that, he goes on a, a news show, uh, where he's promoting it. And the newsreader does it like he, you know, he's going to do some mentalism with her, which is going to be the, the coin drop, uh, guess where he writes on a piece of paper, a number, and then the person drops the coin, uh, after a particular number. Generally, I think three is the one that he goes for. Uh, because, you know, people wouldn't drop it after one because that'd be weird. Um, but two seems too early. And obviously three, particularly when you leave a big gap between three and four, that seems like the point where people will drop the coin. Uh, but the newsreader completely misunderstands. <laughs> and Buck keeps counting upwards before eventually saying, you know, you are going to have to drop the coin. And she's like, sorry, what? Like as if she completely missed what the premise of the trick was. Uh, and then when he goes, you know, as they've got like 20 seconds and they're being wound up, he goes to start the trick again, but she just instantly drops the coin and kind of throws yeah, it away. He's like, ready? She drops it. He's like, no! <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, obviously he kind of tears off his, you know, his microphone and everything and walks off set. Papers in the air. Yeah. Thumbs out. Uh, yep. So, you know, we can see how uh, volatile he is, but also how important this, this kind of big trick is, you know. Um, and obviously this, this prompts Valerie and Troy to kiss, and uh, then that leads to other things, which we don't see, because the following morning... Uh, we get a phone call from Buck. Uh, Troy answers it in bed, and he wants to know where Valerie is. And of course, what's right, what I like is they set up the idea that Valerie is next to him in bed, and then he goes <laughs> to roll over, and there's just empty space, and she's already gone. <laughs> and, yeah, so well, when it was he eleven says, o'clock in the morning. <laughs> well, yeah, but um, but so when he says I don't know where she is, he genuinely means it. Like you know, he was going to lie and say that anyway, but like now he doesn't really know where she is. Uh, turns out she's gone to get the uh, copy of is it Entertainment Weekly where the the, uh, the interview is in? Yeah, yeah. So, I was surprised yeah, they used a real magazine. Top one hundred. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm sure. I'm sure. Again, Tom Hanks probably has uh, a few uh, yeah. connections with the magazine <laughs> yeah. too. Put, having Tom Hanks as your producer can go a long way. Uh, yeah. So they have they have yeah, the magazine, exactly. and the mag- the article is titled "The Not So Great uh, Book Howard," which is not the most original of titles. I mean, work a bit harder on that. Uh, but apparently, the the article does not show anybody in a flattering light. I would think, apart from Troy, who you know was just kind of learning the ropes to start off with, so I don't think he's done anything. But you know, obviously, uh, Alan is not showing in a good light, and Buck is definitely not showing in a good light. Um, and they, you know, they decide the book can't see this because obviously it's going to throw him off with him preparing his, you know, big trick, um, you know, which I agree with, like, you know, like. But that not, also handicaps um, Valerie to a certain extent because she can't bring in all of the press that she might usually come in yeah. and call in because then they would just ask him about the article. <laughs> so she's sort of handcuffed a little bit yeah. by this bad press. <laughs> which, of course, uh, leads to on the day of the new big trick. Uh, they have a large press gaggle and uh, it turns out it of course is mostly local press and and they go to do the trick where now the trick is obviously that you know book will hypnotize a large group of people um, he says 900 there are not 900 they, people there they, yeah, they, <laughs> right they say that it's going to be hundreds but it i mean that room only looks like you know m- not quite a yeah. hundred i would say May, maybe i a think a few dozen would be generous um, but I, I think obviously the, the idea of that is that, you know, Buck is kind of exaggerating and this, this exaggeration will be kind of repeated later on, um, you know, but yeah, he, he kind of walks around, uh, gradually kind of doing like a hypnotist patter saying to people, you know, obviously if, you know, he taps them on the shoulder, they should go and sit down and all this kind of stuff. Um, and you know, the press are kind of interested in what's happening. Uh, he does get a round of applause when he comes down these stairs. It's a nice, I, I let's say it's a nice area where they kind of chose to, do this where they've got the kind of all the different stairways and, and everything you know it's a nice uh it's it's, it's well kind of uh, placed it allows yeah it allows for some interesting yeah. shots too as he's coming down the stairs with the mirrored walls and and with all the yeah. different people so it's it's it is I, th- cool, I thought that it looked kind of like cool you know uh you know I, I mean we see him later on but it is kind of like a david blaine-esque type thing to kind of set it in this kind of this real place and not have it be a stage you know so it felt like he was kind of it was kind of fitted with the you know what was kind of the modern uh, trends in magic at the time which is to kind of do it just you know where you were rather than having elaborate stage setups um and it starts to work you know he says he says you know obviously the floor is going to be comfortable you're going to be wanting to you know lie down on the floor um but as he's doing this the press suddenly you know there's a flurry of uh, calls on everyone's flip phones and uh, they start leaving, uh, and just as they've all left, we we kind of get the reveal that literally everybody there is on the floor in a fetal position asleep. And what I like is kind of we get we get the reveal, but we also kind of get it from like Troy and Valerie's point of view, where they're like, "Oh, it worked!" Like he literally. Hey, I put, did not expect that. Yeah, they like <laughs> he put this entire crowd to sleep just with his words and just kind of walking around. Uh, and it is quite impressive, and it's a pity that basically all of the press kind of left. Well, it's it, yeah. This this is where I, get, I I run into some you know frustrations with with some of the storytelling here because I you know part of it is like okay I get it Jerry Springer car crash and everything but it's like you're seconds away from the end of this yeah. like I, I don't know it's just like I mean s- just stick around for the next few <laughs> seconds to watch the end of this and then run out yeah. Uh, so that was kind of frustrating, and um, obviously some people did stick around, even though we don't see them because we, as we see later, they're on the yeah. news. And so I'm like, wait a minute, I thought everyone, what, when everyone left, what's going on? So it's yeah, 
this there were some elements here that just didn't work quite. I mean, well. it is a bit sloppy, and it then kind of we, you know, we had a couple of uh, montages earlier of like the tour in, which you know I thought really worked, kind of put across, you know, how Book does his act and everything. Um, and then here, you know, Book collapses and he's rushed off to hospital. Um, you know, he was basically in the process of firing Troy and Valerie and <laughs> not being happy about any of that. And... Wait, but before that, all oh, of yes. that led to a very funny moment where uh, Buck is ready to storm off. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. They, they Troy to... has to remind him, um, you've yeah, put all wake... these people to sleep. Yeah, wake <laughs> these people yeah, And I like how, like, I mean, it's funny because he kind of reveals how he would undo the trick, which is he kicks them all specifically on their right foot. Um, when yeah. he's waking them up like so th there's obviously you know there was obviously a way that he was going to do this as the kind of payoff to the act um, but in the end he just kind of goes around just kicking him in the foot and saying wake up wake up <laughs> Not really yeah because you sort of expect the hypnotist <laughs> thing of like when I snap my fingers you yeah. are all awake and feel refreshed yeah. but yeah but that's like, obviously hey, wake up <laughs> yeah you only do that when you've got an audience to do it for but you know yeah. if you haven't got an audience just tap them all very quickly and they'll all start waking up uh, but yeah. yeah, but then he collapses, um, you know, obviously, you know, being angry with Troy and uh, and Valerie. And then Troy goes to the hospital with him. Um, and, you know, we see on the TV that his collapse is being covered. Um, and that is starting to garner him like a little bit of press. Uh, I like as well how like Buck Howard sometimes will call people by the wrong name. So when he asks about Jerry Springer, he doesn't call him Jerry Springer. He calls him something else. I've forgotten what he called. But he calls him the wrong name. And people are like, you mean Jerry Springer? And he's like, yeah, yeah, whoever that guy is. Like, he doesn't know who Jerry Springer is. Um, although I'd say in C well, Cincinnati, it, with him being the mayor of Cincinnati, I, like, I think he would... Like, I mean, Jerry's. You know, I don't. I would. I didn't know Jerry Springer was the mayor. Oh, of I did. That's one of those things. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> I, I did as well. But it's yeah. one of those things. It's like, is he purposefully doing that just as a way to further, like, uh, diminish in scale what he thinks of Jerry Springer's story? Or is he, like, because I know he does it sometimes, and I'm like, I, I don't know if he just doesn't remember their names and he's just coming up with something close. But in that particular case, I was just like, I feel like he's very purposefully doing that. Oh, that yeah. No, it felt, yeah, he felt like what he was, yeah, like he, he, his hatred of this person who he doesn't really know, he's deliberately calling him by the wrong name to, to make a point. Um, but I also think okay. he's not very aware of things outside of his circle. There is that as well. You know what yeah. I mean? Because at this point, Jerry Springer had been on TV for decades, um, you know, and I mean, they even had the opera written about him uh, that was kind of Well, he's on the road a lot. So. I mean, he does 400 shows, and I know Steve Zahn yeah. did the math on that to figure out how many shows a day that <laughs> <He's>, was. <laughs> yeah, where, he, where, where basically he's permanently doing a show um was the was yeah. how the maths work out on it uh yeah we get a confession here you know to troy where he says you know he did the, the tonight show 61 times but none of them in the final decade um you know and obviously he feels like something happened between him and johnny that's a way. big admission it's sort yeah. of like he knows that his career is like he's like i tried and i failed and this is the end now i think yeah and what I what I like here is obviously you know we we get like the first delivery of flowers and then uh, the room is full of flowers, um, and then it's kind of exaggerated where it says he put eight hundred people to sleep and, you know his kind of legend grows and then we get like I, I mean, I kind of know why they did this but I it, feel, it feels like kind of the laziest way to do it of him just kind of like appearing on different TV shows, so like suddenly we've got him, like popping up on like you know TRL, and you know where is it that's where david blade is isn't he and he's like here's like one of your heroes book howard and like they bring him out and it's like like would anybody on trl really care about i mean would they care about david blaine to start off with but also would they care about book howard like even if he's having like 
a kind of resurgence in like mainstream media. I don't know that TRL is really the venue. It's one of the, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like this, the storytelling in this film takes some shortcuts that I just, I feel ends up as much as I love the character of Buck Howard and watching him. And I mean, I generally enjoy the story, the relationship between him and Troy. I like the, the voiceover drives me nuts. <laughs> this is a film that is a perfect example of a film that just does not need voiceover. And they felt, I don't know why they just felt like they had to have voiceover to kind of, kind of, kind of shortcut through the story. And then same thing with this news thing. Like, I, I just feel like all of these clips, it's just like, ah, here's one of these montages again. We have to got to watch through all these different clips of him having a resurgence. And it just, there are moments in the film where it just, it really turns it into a bit more of a slog because of the way that they, uh, felt they needed to kind of depict yeah, yeah. this is only an hour and 30 minute long movie and i checked my watch more than once it's an hour and 25 yeah. by the time you get to the credits it doesn't even yeah, get to so the I'm full just 90 like, minutes like this is this is dragging in parts and i'm just like mm. yeah but yeah. i mean i you know i thought the kind of the daily show thing was like kind of funny because you know uh, john stewart kind of this is kind of something that john stewart might do is have somebody who's just promoting something very specifically and it, the interview might not go completely how you expect and you know we've seen that before with the daily show and with john stewart so that kind of makes sense um and then like he's on like he I, I don't know what like he's all of a sudden got a cookbook out and martha stewart's like i was like where did that yeah, come from like yeah. that's like a. Well, i think martha stewart had like a talk show kind of thing it wasn't just cooking no but he suddenly has a, a no cookbook. but oh he, he actually had a yeah there's like a great book howard <laughs> yeah, cookbook. his cookbook yeah and it, like <laughs> It's like he's a mentalist. Just have him like promoting like a like his act. Like you don't need him to promote a cookbook for it to. They probably could have cut that by for moment. I liked when he called Conan Colin, um, because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because well, and that's and that's one where I feel like he just generally got the name yeah. wrong. He wasn't purposefully doing. Yeah, it, so yeah. Uh, and then I mean I think this is something that they sh like they should have done a different way because having him reunited with George Takai, who apparently you know the Sulu from the Star Trek. Um, you know, they've apparently had a bit of a rift. And so reuniting him, like, on on Regis and Kelly, after they've done, like, the handshake gag where he's, like, basically breaking Kelly Ripper's arm, um, like, and then have George Takai come out singing What the World Needs Now, it's, it's like, it's like, if, like, it felt like earlier in the film, like, the hints that there was an issue between him and George, like, if you're going to resolve that, just doing it in this kind of montage of clips just felt a bit kind of empty. You know, I would have preferred maybe if they'd have in the next scene, if they'd have met backstage at the Tonight Show and, you know, maybe yeah. if like because if Jay Leno's going to bring out George Takai, that means something more than like, you know, Regis and Kelly. Um, but, you know, it just felt a bit like, oh, so that's over then. I guess they're not there's not a fight between George and Buck Howard anymore. Like it it just kind of felt like it ended very quickly. Um, yeah, that's those shortcuts that it took. Yeah. That just it's like, yeah. What's going on here? Why? Why is that? I mean, I get it. It's it's fun getting George Takai in because you can, uh, and that'll be you know you'll you'll get to talk about him a few more movies down the road. But um, it, it's just one of those things where it's just like, meh. Why was yeah. this here? Right. And, and I mean, you know, uh, but uh, and the thing is, I think like the, the the real drama of this comeback is the Tonight Show. You know, Jay Leno has finally invited him on the Tonight Show. Uh, Tom Arnold, obviously being uh, the human pile of waste that he is, runs over. Um, even though he he explicitly says to Jay Leno, "I'm not here to promote anything," like, <laughs> like so he just keeps talking for the sake of talking, um, and then obviously they bump Buck Howard, 
and they kind of apologize for bumping Buck Howard. And then obviously but backstage... Buck was listed as the second guest. How yeah. often does one guest take over the entire late uh, like show? Like I don't understand. <laughs> I don't. I mean, you know, I guess like uh, you know, sometimes they have this, the first guest uh, kind of go into the second segment to like tell a second story or something. But then after yeah. that, like they take a break. Like there's a, there's actual commercials that come on, so there's there's time to stop Tom Arnold from talking and then and then and bring somebody else out. Yeah, so. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I just um, but you know, obviously uh, Don Most comes backstage to apologize, and Buck kind of walks off and he's like, "No, I'm not. I'm not going to come back." That's what he's Satan. Yeah. He's Satan. <laughs> he is Satan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what I like is he kind of turned down talking, you know, doing a Las Vegas show, you know, to ride the wave of this comeback and go on the Tonight Show, um, you know, one more time. Uh, interestingly, Kreskin did like David Letterman's show, like three or four times in the kind of um, early 2000s. Um, so, you know, he was still kind of getting appearances on, on late night shows. Uh, but, you know, now he, he kind of changes his mind and he decides, yes, he'll go and do a Vegas show. <laughs> he'll, he'll deign to appear at Las Vegas. Um, and, you know, obviously he goes to meet Patrick Fischler and Wallace Langdon, um, and they kind of talk about the stuff that they, you know, want him to change in the act. Um, and in particular, you know, singing what the world needs now <laughs> like speak singing that and some of the stand-up stuff they want they want him to drop that but they like the kind of find the fee kind of finale and they also like you know the mentalism stuff it's the yeah, magic tricks yeah, yeah, all yeah. That and stuff, yeah. to me it kind of like this like after the kind of weirdly odd like you say the shortcuts that they took with the new stuff the idea of him getting a vegas show feels very realistic because christ knows carrot top's been doing it for like 30 years or whatever and he's you know so the fact that somebody would like Buck Howard, who seems to have a you know a measure of talent, uh, could could like you know, uh, I'm, I was gonna say headline, but I think on the on the billboard it says like five o'clock start, so it's an afternoon show basically. Um, you know, I think that 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 feels about you know after the comeback that feels about the level. Again, the voiceover kind of annoyingly explains that like his star is starting to fade again, and so he's got to grab onto something, um, and you know that's probably why he felt like he you know needs to do this. Um, and then we kind of quickly get to him doing the the Las Vegas show and doing the whole act, and it's a, it's a nice little sequence where they're in the. I mean, it looks like a nice venue as well with all those tables and the lights and everything. You know, it's it's what you expect from, uh, you know, like a casino uh, dining room. Um, but then he gets to the kind of the the climax of the trick. Uh, you know, he takes a couple of people backstage who are a bit more kind of confrontational <laughs> about how the trick is they're done. They're not your small town hicks that he's used to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, and I, again, yeah, I think the contrast between earlier where he did this, you know, for the first time where we saw it with Troy and now, like the difference is kind of is kind of there and we can tell that this is not the same crowd. Um, and of course, when he goes out, he kind of wanders around and, he, you know, he can't find it. Um, you know, and he like there is a nice shot where like everything kind of fades out and you just see like the tables and then the lights and then, you know, Buck's just standing there. Um and then we get back. That's a, yeah, that that yeah. lighting, uh, that the way that that played was really nice. Yeah. That was a, one of those little. There's not a lot of director touches like that throughout this film, but that's definitely something where it felt like Tak Fujimoto said, "You know yeah. what? If we just kind of dim all these lights and we just leave the pools from each of the table, it's going to be a really nice effect." And that's that was one of those moments that I, I could feel Tak Fujimoto really doing something very clever with the director it worked very nicely yeah in that, moment. that definitely felt like a tack moment um but yeah i know it's yeah. a, it's a it's a one and the thing is as well it does kind of show how lonely book kind of feels kind of just stuck out there trying to find the money 
Um, and then, of course, Tom returns uh, because his name is. Well, before you before you go oh, to Tom returning, yes. that set is actually the same set that was used in the Blues Brothers for the Palace Hotel Ballroom near the end of the movie. Oh, okay. It's been redressed, but it's the same the same set. Yeah. So obviously, we're not in Vegas. No. <laughs> or, or Chicago, no. really. Or Akron, uh, or. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, it does feel like everything's kind of shot within, uh, you know, uh, five miles of, of like a studio. Um, but yeah, and we get the return of Tom, uh, and he's kind of talking to him, you know, because obviously, uh, you know, Buck has kind of failed in Vegas, and, you know, he's, he's unemployed. Um, and, you know, they, they have a nice lunch, and he kind of explains that, you know, because he's, he's like, well, how about you become an entertainment lawyer? <laughs> like, um, it's a compromise. I'll, yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> I mean, it's still he's still a lawyer, so I don't know how much compromising is going on. But I do I do like at least that kind of we see that that Mr. Gable is kind of willing to you know, like let his son fail, basically, and kind of do what he needs to do. Um, and he says, you know, he's going to be a writer. And I like where he says, yeah, well, you know, you should eat as much of that lunch as you can because it's normally prefixed with starving. Yeah, all the uh, starving in the front. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so, you know, he's he's kind of like, yeah, okay, you know, be a writer. We, you know, we'll see where it goes. And then obviously, you know, if, if it does end up going nowhere, then we could talk later on about, you know, possibly going back to school or something. But, you know, okay, you know, follow your dream. Like, he's not going to. There's the character yeah. turn. Yeah, there's the moment that's like, yeah, all right, um, I guess we're expecting that <laughs> yeah. to show up. Yeah. And what, but what, what I like is, I mean, like you say, I don't, I don't think the two of them have acted in anything since this moment. So, like, you know, this is the this is kind of the the, the kind of the last time we've seen them act together on screen. Um, so, but it is kind of nice that you do get the, you know, you get the impression that Tom is a very supportive dad to both of his sons, unfortunately, uh, in the case of one of them. And he's kind of willing to let them fail and, you know, uh, and in in Colin's case, obviously it's succeeded, and he's you know, a successful actor. In the case of Chet, things have gone in a different direction. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, he's like, okay, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. You 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 kind of do what you need to do. Uh, and Troy then takes Valerie upon her offer because she was like, I know other famous people who want Buck Howard, and they probably could help you more than Buck Howard can. So, uh, you know, if this doesn't work out, come and see me in L.A. And of course, you know, he goes to see her in L.A. And, you know, she mentions, uh, that, you know, this writer, uh, Jonathan Feynman, uh, has got a space as an assistant open. And, you know, he, he kind of, you know, she manages to get his foot in the door so he can kind of meet with him. And it's played by Griffin Dunn. Um, another film. Uh, such a strange small yeah, and, part. Uh, <laughs> such a highly credited character in the film. Uh, yeah, in a film that also has like Michael Winslow in a dressing room, like rehearsing making noises, uh, which I love because I like I like the I, I, I like the idea that Michael Winslow between shows forgets what noises are and he kind of has to practice his noises. Um, it just—it was one of those things, though. I'm like, God, I mean, he doesn't just walk around doing this. I mean, you might as well have had Gary Coleman go, "What you talking about?" You know, it's just like, oh, jeez. And I was on. like, I made a note. Putting a hat I on made a, a hat. note. It's like Gary Coleman and sound effect guy. <laughs> I could yeah. not remember his name. Uh, yeah. So you know, uh, Griffin Dunn kind of talks to him, and he says, you know, like obviously he was interested to see like Book Howard on like his you know CV and. You know, he wanted to, you know, the main reason he wanted to meet with him was just to kind of talk about Buck Howard, you know, because he saw him when he was younger. And obviously, you know, as with everyone, he got like a, a photo of him and, you know, he's kind of looked up to him for many years. And he kind of says, oh, I know how he does the, the trick where he finds the money. And Troy's kind of like, what? And he's like, yeah, you know, he's got somebody that he like hires and, you know, they go from venue to venue and he's got an earpiece and all this kind of stuff. 
and Troy, you know, he obviously he's kind of a bit disappointed because he's like, uh, you know, I'm the road manager. Surely if someone's following us around, I'd notice. Um, and, you know, I can't believe that's the way he does the trip. But, you know, Griffin's obviously very insistent on that. But, you know, he still hires Troy anyway. Um, you know, and we kind of cut to a few months later uh, where Troy is, you know, happily working on this TV show. And he sees that in Bakersfield, um, the great book Howard is going to be doing his act. And so, of course, he goes to watch it. I just love just as a note with the Bakersfield location. I, I laughed every time they had the the marquee. And it was like the, you know, the I don't remember what to say, the, the something like Bakersfield uh you know council of art so or whatever it's called Can't. and the o was missing <laughs> and it just said yeah. fart like i i thought that that was funny but especially because it has been who knows how much time has passed and it's still it has that up there so it just it was it's also funny. missing like the h for the howard so there's a, it's a different like i would say type yeah. yeah, it's a different right. type just, of h that's kind of thrown just on there, something about the the previous scene as well with um with griffin dunn um Griffin Dunn asks or talks about two things which are the exact same things that Valerie talks about when she first meets Buck Howard as well. They both ask if he's gay. Yeah. And they both say right. that he has an earpiece and um and uh, and cheats on on the thing. So like I'm like how much time does Valerie spend with Griffin Dunn? Did they come <laughs> did they come to these like are they asking these questions independently? Have they discussed this together? <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, I thought the whole is he gay thing. I mean, I don't know. That felt like a bit two thousand eight. I was like, but, you know, he's, like what was the point of that? I don't yeah, understand. I, you know, that's why I skipped over it. I don't think it was really worth like. It's not funny, and it's you know, it felt like one of those things though with these weird, these like very quirky sorts of characters in in stories. It's like. I don't know. It felt like one of those things that people would like go to. It's just like, well, there must be something. And that's where it does. It definitely feels like a dated element that people would go to when there's the this quirky person that they just don't understand. Yeah. Oh well, they're, they're probably gay then, right? And like it's, it, it definitely felt like something that was probably you know in the a line from films in the '80s, maybe the '90s. But by the time it was here, it's like eh, it, it probably felt dated in '08. Because yeah, the first time it came up with from Valerie, I was like, really, this is yeah. where we're going. And then when it came up again, I'm like, you're doubling down, honestly? <laughs> okay. Yeah, she's like she's like the, you know, there's like an office pool on like wherever yeah. or not he is. And I'm like, like in, in 2008, who would care? But, you know, I mean, again, it, you know, it's one of those things that probably the director put in because it was maybe something that was asked of him a lot. And so maybe that's where it comes from. Uh, yeah. And if he if he was helping Kreskin out in probably the 80s I imagine that yeah. was something that did come up more but again it doesn't necessarily play yeah, if, like, the movie, oh, if the movie uh, had been set in the now. 80s maybe but oh, yeah. because it's yeah. clearly yeah, set right, in more right. modern times at the time like it, it, it's out of place yeah. jarring yeah. yeah and so in Bakersfield uh, you know our story is told as uh, Buck Howard uh, has got a new road manager uh, and it is uh, Simon from Alvin and the Chipmunks. It is uh, Matthew Grey Goobler, the voice of Simon from the Chipmunks films. Um, I was thinking of his credits. That was like, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. that is pro- I mean, you know, he probably makes most of his money from doing those films. That is probably where he gets uh, his money from. I remember seeing him in I... uh, 500 Days of Summer, which came out the year after this, uh, where he was one of the friends of uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um 
right? And I, there was a movie. Gosh, what was that movie I saw him in? It was a it was more of a horror film that he Life showed After up Beth? in. That was uh, no. Um, oh gosh, I can't Suburban remember. Suburban Gothic, um, maybe. Yeah. No, I don't okay. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I mean, he was also in uh, Horse Girl, which was I think uh, had Alison Brie. Was like the main star. That was a very odd Netflix film that came out, came out a couple of years ago. Um, He's one of those faces that you definitely recognize. He pop yeah. when he pops up and stuff, and it, you know. But it seems like this sort of, um, <laughs> the this sort of kind of slacker sort of character is what he fits well. Slacker slash hip, or because I don't know. Five hundred days of summer. It's like he's kind of crossing that line, right? Yeah. Uh, he's the one of the friends who didn't marry Christina Hendricks in real life. Um, <laughs> the other guy did. Uh, yeah, I, I, he's probably most well known to most people these days for doing 15 years on Criminal Minds, uh, where he played Dr. Spencer Reed for 324 episodes. That's probably where he's made most of his money, rather than Alvin the Chipmunks. Maybe that's, yeah, that's what I'm yeah. thinking of. I don't know what I'm thinking of with him, but yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, the following year he had a good year, 500 Days of Summer, and uh, Alvin the Chipmunks the Squeakle. I mean, he was making money. Um, so he's also he's also <laughs> been the voice of the Riddler on uh, Batman uh, Assault on Arkham. So you know he's done, but yeah, he's he's basically here for like nothing. Like he's here for like two minutes, uh, and only for Buck to like yell at him because he's doing stuff wrong. Um, well, that's a theme in this in this movie. People just pop yeah. up for three minutes and then disappear. <laughs> but I think it's funny because obviously we're meant to think that Russell is basically incompetent, and Troy was like the better road manager. You know, he's obviously there just to yeah. make that guy look good. Um, you know, and. Uh, we, we kind of get an admission from Buck. I, I kind of like that his personality has kind of changed because if you're not working for him and he's not doing his act for you and you kind of just know him as a person, then he kind of, he is a bit more kind of open and stuff like he was in the hospital. Um, you know, he's, he's happy to kind of say, you know, like he didn't, he wasn't enjoying Vegas and, you know, he likes, you know, touring the smaller towns and, you know, these are kind of his people, you know, as he says every time he loves this town. And, yeah, you know, it's he where comes, he belongs. Yeah, he's willing to admit to Troy, like, like this is his level. You know, like he doesn't want to spend, you know, know five hundred shows in Vegas every year. You know, like he, that's not that's not who he is. Um, and you know, it, it does show that there is a kind, a tiny bit of kind of self awareness. Um, but I think the implication is also that you know, uh, when he didn't find the fee in Vegas, it's because he didn't want to find it. Like the trick didn't fail. You know, he can do this easily. He just he threw didn't. it. Yeah, yeah. You know, he he failed deliberately so that he could kind of come back to where he felt comfortable. Um, you know. See, I didn't read it that oh. way. I felt okay. that no, I I think it was I I read it like there was something about just the people and just like the personality of the Vegas style that you don't get in these little small town venues. Like everybody in Vegas. Like they're not interested in in the you know getting a f- an autographed photo from you. It's like all that guy wants to know. Like when he brings those two people back, is just like you know the secrets to your tricks. It's just like they're they're not there to kind of revel in the joy that is uh, uh, Buck Howard. It, and so it, just like that energy like throws him off. And I just I feel like it is one of those times where it's just like it's the wrong energy and he just, he can't find himself in that energy. And I mean, I guess it's, it's almost, you could, you could see the same, you could say the same thing about the way that you're saying it. It's just, it's just one of those things where it's just like the energy is off and he just can't click. Yeah. You know? 
I'd it's definitely of... a different vibe in the room. Like they, they very much are more the people who are sit back, cross my arms, and impress me. Kind well, of. Yes, exactly. I mean, here's what here's what I will say. Uh, if you are familiar with Darren Brown, spelt like my name but different, um, he is he's a similar thing to Buck Howard in that he is someone who does. He's a magician, but he does you know mostly mentalism. Um, I've seen him on tour a few times. Uh, one time, my brother went up on stage and he did a trick on my brother. Uh, and he he used a giant piece of cardboard to write down some guesses and uh, my brother went at the end of the show and got it signed by him and then got it framed later on with the ticket um and when you're in that room when everybody is there to see Darren brown everyone is kind of willing to be hypnotized almost like you know there's a lot of tricks that he does yeah. where he's like you know you're sitting in your chair you won't be able to lift your arms you know obviously it's just ways to figure out who is susceptible and who to bring up on stage and stuff like that but you know there are a lot of people who are sitting there like not lifting their arms up because they're Darren brown fans and they want to take part in something uh, and like you say yeah probably in las vegas it's people who are just there to you know gamble and you know be in the hotel and they're just coming in for a show because there's nothing else to do at five o'clock probably um, or so someone is, gave them free tickets well yeah so it is so it is a different crowd but at the same time you know again you know it's it's the end of league of the road you know did she drop the ball or you know like in the, in this case it's like you know did he throw it or you know was it was it difficult for him to find and the end result is still the same he goes back to where he feels comfortable um, and then of course he adjusts the act we also get some voiceover where he's like now i'm watching you know colin hanks is like now i'm watching it like as an audience member rather than as a backstage person it's like yeah we know you're sitting in the, yeah, blah, yeah blah, you're blah, sitting blah, you're blah, sitting blah. in the audience because <laughs> talk talk yeah talk, we can up. see that we don't need to be told uh but yeah so you know and so he kind of he gets these doc like these doctors on stage with these flashlights to look in his ears to, to show that there is no earpiece um you know and then he also put, like has a hood put over and says you know wherever the money's been hidden now like hide it somewhere else so that you know he doesn't know where it is and obviously they rehide the money um and again the voiceover kind of ruins it because he's like oh you know whatever the trick was obviously buck's not gonna be able to do it now and he like it's like it's, we don't need this like we can see the tension of him trying to find it you don't need to keep explaining it to us um but you know he kind of looks around the room and obviously you know we see him kind of stumbling about a bit trying not to you know kind of looking for it and then he kind of goes to this one guy and he's like you know you got it and the guy is like no i haven't and obviously you're meant no, to I think, don't. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah you're meant to think he's failed but then of course he's like no it's in your left pocket and then of course he gets it out and colin hanks smiles and you know that is a nice moment where colin kind of sees it from as being an audience member seeing the trick kind of pay off is kind of you know it, it is a good trick uh, you know, it's the reason why Kreskin did it for like six thousand occasions because you know it is a, it's a it's a good way to kind of finish the show. Whatever comes before that, yeah, um, yeah. you know, sure. and obviously you know Troy kind of he just kind of has to admit that you know if he can't work out how it was done, it doesn't matter. It just means the book was you know very good at whatever you know whatever the mentalism was. Um, you know, but again, we get the camera angles where like the guy is sitting cross armed and like you know it. From my point of view, it's like it's kind of telegraphed a bit too much. Like that's where it is. Like we should across his forehead. Yeah, I have we, your money. we kind of should have let Book kind of find it a bit more and make it a bit more suspenseful. But you know, this director feels like he doesn't have the kind of talent to pull that off. So, um, yeah, yeah, he repeats the same type of shot yeah. every time. Like Buck's far in the distance, and the character who has it is right in the foreground not yeah, looking and it, just, it, it plays over and over again and it just is like eh. yeah we get it yeah, <laughs> yeah. and like yeah. i said having seen darren brown do stuff like this you know with people like you know kind of 
going out into the crowd and finding someone and all that kind of like it, like it is about body language you know um as much as they're like you know they obviously the point of magicians is they you know they want to distract you with something else so they will say oh no it's this we're doing this we're do but what they're actually doing is like trying to read the body language and obviously if someone's trying to hide money from you uh, you know they'll try and stay as still as possible so they don't be suspicious but of course that will, that's what makes them suspicious yeah they're saying they're going blend in blend in, blend yeah. in don't make eye contact blend in <laughs> yeah um but you, you know it's it's nice to see that he's kind of doing you know what he like he's in front of the kind of half-filled crowds that he, he you know he revels in playing to um you know and that's where the film ends um we get the appearance of a band called uh clap your hands say yeah um yeah. And they were they were kind of earlier they they were kind of playing some background music um, on one of the like one of the venues I think it was was it in Vegas or was it in in Cincinnati, uh, but they were I think kind it was of, in Cincinnati because oh, they were playing yeah, when yeah. when Valerie was there. Yeah, so they're kind of just in the background yeah. playing, and then they get to play over the end credits here. It was like in one of the bars yeah. in yeah. their city. Yeah. Uh, so you know here they are playing the song over the end credits, and that's where the film finishes. Um, uh, I, I, that was another thing. I'm like, why are why is this band being featured so prominently? <laughs> They're not part of the story. It felt like they know somebody, uh, either one of the producers or their friends with the director or something. But it just felt like why why this band? It just it doesn't feel connected to this story in any Except way. I was and looking them up because like they're they're listed individually just by name. So I was doing a little investigating to try and figure out who they were. And eventually I just ended up waiting till the credits came up to the songs at the end. And I saw the name of the band. Yeah. And I was thinking like, were they like hot that summer? And it was like, get the cool band in that kind of thing. I'm like, nope. Okay. No. And in fact, maybe, before, maybe before know, this film was, was wide released. And I say wide released in possibly the smallest sense. Um, <laughs> they, they had split up. Um, Cause this film <laughs> came out in March, 2009 and they basically split up in January, 2009. Um, so in fact, like almost exactly, you know, as this episode comes out, twenty first of January two thousand nine, they broke up. Um, you know, uh, and you know they kind of, they did a few performances after that, but you know, and then they kind of got back together, but not until like two thousand eleven. Um, and then you know they've released a few albums, but it's weird that like kind of this film came out while they weren't doing anything. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you know they're okay. I like again, it's one of those weird things where like yeah, why are they being so prominently featured? Um, twice yeah i mean here's the thing <laughs> if they had been at like every small venue playing like a song in the background then like it would have been part of the film and it would have kind of made sense but yeah. just having them pop up like twice you're like i i don't know what they're trying to say with this band it's this guy um, in a hat i don't know what's happening <laughs> yeah I, I mean i would have loved it if they'd have played what the world needs now is love sweet love but like kind of in a different style <laughs> yeah that like that would have yeah. tied in like there would have been some connection and and the way it was it's just like why what why is this happening this way yeah. it was just kind of randomly playing some song and then a few months later breaking up uh but yeah, yeah. so uh i mean uh, i mean i enjoyed it like you know we can get into judgments in a second but i i didn't think it was a bad film like you said there are a few times where it feels like tap fishimoto kind of took over a little bit and was like let's try doing something interesting instead of just you know, yeah. having a guy right next to the camera while Book is looking for the money. Like, let's try something slightly different. Um, you know, and like, you know, there are a couple of shortcuts where they just decide to montage it so that you they don't have to do the kind of the groundwork. Um, and like I said, the, the George Takai thing, I thought that was going to pay off in a different way. But, you know, it just ends up kind of being thrown away. Although obviously seeing him sing What the World Needs Now is 
very funny. Like having having like <laughs> so bad having John Malkovich <laughs> and George Takei singing that song in this film is like you know if for nothing else it's worth that. Um, Could we put please put quotation marks around singing for John? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> just talk it. And I, it's funny because like to me it like it feels like they were maybe trying to do like a bit of a kind of Shatner thing because obviously you know he was kind of famous for like his talk singing. So I don't know if Mr. They, like Tambourine kind of, Man. Yeah, so I, I don't know if they were kind of trying to hint at that. Um, you know, there is a, there is a point where someone says, you know, did you ever meet Spark? And he's like, yes, I've met Len Nimoy. <laughs> like, you know, like he's not. <laughs> but like, I wouldn't say that we're friends. Yeah, he's yeah, he's not really. <laughs> you know, he's. But, I, but like, yeah, I mean, you know, I think obviously the film is just, by, you know, it hinges on how much you enjoy John Malkovich's performance, and it's a really good performance. Um, apparently that's Kevin 100 percent why yeah it, apparently yeah, so kevin good. klein was supposed to play buck oh. originally according to tom hanks yeah. himself on some interview somewhere and okay. that would have been a very very different film yeah <laughs> it it really feels like i john malkovich was the right person to play like i can't see kevin klein doing it uh, doing the same kind of justice to the character that i really feel we get from john malkovich doing it like i i i I, I, if there's a reason to watch this film, it's because John Malkovich is so much fun to watch through the whole thing. Like he is just such a delight as this character. Yeah. Because I wrote it at some point, um, like, am I supposed to like this character? Because at the moment I don't. Um, <laughs> but it's kept entertaining because it's John Malkovich, and I, I think if it was Kevin Klein, I would just hate him. He's like, this guy's an idiot, and I hate him. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's something there's something about him also that I do feel like I end up, I you know. Troy is a great audience surrogate because I'm kind of there with him where it's like, I don't really like this Buck Howard persona, but there's something kind of magical about him that still pulls me in. It's just like, I just want to keep watching him, but you know, even though it's like a, a constant disaster, but there's, it's, 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 he's very compelling to kind of be around. Yeah. So I, I, I like that element. And I don't story. think we would have gotten that with Kevin Klein. It would have been a very different character. I think. No. And of course, you know, later on this year, uh, in two thousand eight, he would appear in uh, Burn After Reading, uh, and that's another wonderful performance from that, where he plays someone who is like you don't like. He's like intensely hateful <laughs> in the film. Um, you know, in particular when Brad Pitt is uh, attempting to blackmail him, and he just keeps like yelling at him and hanging up on him and swearing at him. It's just, uh, wonderful, uh, but yeah. But I think I also saw him in a film called Mutant Chron- Mutant Chronicles which had Thomas Jane and Ron Perlman in. It's just like, it's like one of those films where you get John Malkovich to just kind of yell at the top of his voice about like science fiction stuff. And, you know, I think that was like actually like a huge bomb. Um, and then he was also in Changeling this year. Like he did, he had a busy 2008, to be honest with you. Um, considering he only put yeah. one film out in 2009. Um, so yeah, you know, there was a lot of John Malkovich going around um, uh, that year. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, we may as well go straight to judgments because uh, I don't think there's very much more we can say about this film. Um, and uh, let's start with Andy. Uh, you know, normally it's T. Hanks, but I think in this case we've got to say C. Hanks or no C. Hanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'll stick with what I was just saying. Is like the, I have a lot of issues with the the way the story is constructed. I hate the voiceover throughout the film. It just is so unnecessary. Um, and and there are a lot of things that just tell me this is a beginning filmmaker who really doesn't have a, a good grasp on how to successfully tell the story in the most effective way. But that being said, I love the characters in this film. I mean, John Malkovich is so much fun to watch, and his relationship with Colin Hanks, you know, the relationship with um, 
Emily Blunt, like everybody in it is such an interesting character. Like Steve Zahn, they're all, they're all so interesting to watch that, I mean, I'll still give it a C. Hanks. Yeah. It's just, I, I, I wish that it had been better, but I still don't think it was bad. Yeah. Uh, I should say as well, it got 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, it's not a badly reviewed film. Um, yeah, it's a 6.4 yeah. on IMDb. Yeah, so, you know, but it's just not at the level of, you know, what Tom Hanks was doing when he was like, you know, 30. Um, so, Susan, your judgment? I would call this a pleasant film, even though some of the characters are quite unpleasant. <laughs> um, I don't know that I would rush to watch it again. But I, I think all the characters are very interesting, and it did keep my attention, even though occasionally I would check the time. And I think we were halfway through at one point, and I'm like, only halfway through? All right. <laughs> but um, it's just a kind of pleasant story that just kind of follows these characters as they go through, you know, however many months of their life. And I, I enjoy a character piece, even though my favorite movies usually have a lot of explosions in them. Um, so I would give it a C. Hanks. Yeah. Well, you know, I, and I like the double meaning because, yeah, you know, I think people should see hanks um but i mean i like I, you know I, I i wish we'd have had maybe one more scene with with tom where you know he was kind of in the middle you know maybe he was like you know uh, before kind of you know book does his big trick maybe saying look you know this is going nowhere you know maybe something like that and then obviously when books you know, has his resurgence uh, you know then the, the, the kind of the, the later on where his heart you know he can have the change of heart because he's seen that obviously this c- could be a successful career you know as it is you know just having him in for the two scenes um you know like i said i made i kind of made a choice not to kind of really cover films where this is the case but because he's producing and there's so many people in here that have kind of worked with him like emily blunt and steve's on and you know as we say all the cameos it does feel like tom is kind of um putting some phone calls in there i can't remember if it's this year or a couple of years after this where um you know he was on 30 rock because uh, tracy jordan was getting oscar nominated and he was in- inviting him into the serious actors club um <laughs> you know and and it feels like tom hanks does kind of have that kind of pull, like that pull within hollywood where he is so well liked that you know he can just kind of call up tom arnold and be like hey tom do you want to come in the film and be the worst person in the world you know and <laughs> tom arnold is kind of willing to do that or you know calling up you know like jay leno and saying look we're gonna have a film where someone hates you you know do you want to come and be in it like just kind of calling in those favors i think um, i mean it ended up producing absolutely nothing because you know this thing only made a million dollars but um you know like tom's involvement makes it feel like it is more of like his film uh than collins which is kind of ironic because obviously in the film the father is you know wanting to control his son's life as well so in a way tommy's kind of doing that a little bit here but um yeah yeah it's a it's a film that you know like we say it's only like 90 minutes you know it's five minutes before you you know clap your hands say yes and they appear for the end credits so you know 85 minutes the voiceover does kind of, i mean i i don't mind like the voiceover to like start a film if it's kind of if it helps us to kind of move things along um, but then exp- over explaining stuff is just the word like, you know, the reason people hate voiceover sometimes is because it just explains way too much. And you don't and you don't need it to explain that he's in the audience when he's sitting in the audience. Like that's not a that's yeah, not it voiceover. Seems, I mean, I, I do enjoy a good voiceover film, but um, it seems in this case, especially to be very lazy writing. And instead of yeah. showing something, we're just going to explain it to you so you get it. Well, I, you know, I love Fight Club. Fight Club has got tons of voiceover. Like, it's non-stop voiceover. But it's... But it, it's and it's yeah, done it's well. Purposeful. Yeah, that's the... You know, whereas for a lot yeah. of this... Exactly. It's like him being like, oh, Buck doesn't like this or that. It's like, well, just show... You know, just show us Buck not liking stuff. Yeah. You don't need to tell us that he doesn't like it at the same time as well. Um, 
Yeah, that's the problem with it. Is it just all feels like we, we've seen it or we're watching it. You don't need to also be telling us yeah. that. Like, I really just wasn't feeling it in college. Yeah, we see you <laughs> not feeling it. We see it. Like, we we yeah, you get just, it. You've you just know, slammed your oh. laptop closed and walked out. You don't it, like. Yeah. You don't need to then say, hef- I walked out. It was out. a heavy sigh. Like, clearly you're not happy <laughs> <Right>. here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but apart it's from very... all that, like, John Malkovich is so good in this. And, you know, he really, he's he really so inhabits good. it. You know, the wig and the teeth, like, whatever he's got going on here. Like, he's... Like he's he's it stops kind of being like, you know, him playing a character and he just kind of becomes Buck Howard after a while where like, you know, his annoyance is kind of just funny to watch, you know, how like just slight things kind of set him off. And, you know, like it, it just it just feels like he is the part um, and Colin is good, you know, but again, he's an audience substitute and he spends way too much time talking to us in voiceover. So. Uh, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. like that kind of stuff could be it feels like this script probably needed like one more draft just to take a few things out and kind of get rid of a bit of voice over here and there um you know like, because it's only an hour and a half they had room to add a little more yeah story visually as opposed to just like i did this and i did that and like he feels this way about it and he feels I mean, that way about like it like when like, Dor- when doreen is like singing her introduction we don't get tons of voiceover saying Buck wasn't how we're like happy with this. Like we we see him yeah. not being happy with it, and we see Colin Hanks's kind of you know panic on his face. Like it, you've got you've got like two really good actors. Let them play the parts and show us stuff rather than constantly telling us about it. Um, you know, but yeah, you know, it's worth seeing. Uh, it, you know, like as as with both of you, I don't think I'm probably going to watch it. I would say ever again. I mean, maybe maybe if someone wanted to see it, I'm like, okay, let's watch it. But I. You know, it's unlikely I'm going to watch. I mean, if I'm not going to watch Charlie Wilson's War again, which is what I said in that episode, then I'm probably not going to watch this again. To be honest with you, like Charlie Wilson's War is like a better film I, than this. But you know, I don't know if this one was on my list to rewatch. But I, I mean, I will say, having just rewatched it for the show, I mean, I, I still found it to be a pleasant yeah. watch. So it's it's not a hard film to watch or rewatch. It's just it is also one of those ones that you probably forget pretty quickly. Yeah, afterwards. it drags a little bit in the middle, but you know. Once, once, once we've kind of had the the kind of the you know the the resurgence and that kind of little montage and stuff, it's pretty quick to get to the end. Um, you know, so I would say if people want to kind of seek it out, then you know, obviously do that. I would say here's what I would say: if you can watch it without paying for it, then that is pro- that's probably what it's worth. Um, you know, if it's on a streaming service for free, by all means, spend eighty five minutes watching this film. Otherwise. It's probably not worth paying for like a Blu-ray or anything like that. Um, as we increasingly abandon physical media. I don't know that <laughs> this is even on Blu-ray, to be honest with you. Um, well, think... according to IMDb, it's available on Amazon to buy on Blu-ray DVD from nine ninety nine. Oh, That's Canadian. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's worth that much money. Um, yeah. so <laughs> <Not even> Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> let's go to plugs then. Uh, we're going to start with Susan. Is there anything you wish to plug, Susan? Uh, um, I've been previously on this podcast on um, Apollo 13 and on... Uh, I'm blanking on the baseball movie name. Oh, my own. God. A League of Their Own. You just said it earlier. My goodness. Yeah. Uh, I've also appeared on the Love Actually podcast called Christmas Actually. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Sherlock73. And I'm happy to be here. And Andy, I know you definitely have stuff to... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we're uh, my co-host Pete and I are always talking about movies over on the Next Real Film Podcast. Uh, you can uh, just look us up on any podcatcher or go to thenextreel.com. And of course, the Marvel Movie Minute, where we're breaking down the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. Currently, uh, we're 
uh, let's see, when is this? This is coming out yeah. pretty quick. So, yeah, we're getting close. Uh, we're getting toward the finale of Thor, wrapping up our fourth season of that. So, and you can find that at marvelmovieminute.com. And you can find us at the extremely awkward Twitter handle, T underscore FT memory. Uh, thanks to both of you for being my guests here today. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. And uh, without looking, I'm going to guess that the next uh, film I'm going to cover is going to be, I'm going to say, Angels and Demons? That feels correct. Uh, we'll have to go into the audience and see if anyone's got it. <laughs> <laughs>